0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to RPG r and I am one of your hosts, Jess Geyer. I'm one half of Wannabe Games, and I make tabletop role-playing games. And I'm here with my co-host, Craig Campbell. Hello, Craig. Hi,
1: Jess. Um, yes, I am Craig Campbell. I'm the owner of Nerdburger Games, and I make some of those role-playing games, too. And we are here today with returning guest who had to kind of dip out because of life stuff for a while, but he's back. <laughs> Eddie Webb. Hello. Hello, my name is Eddie Webb, and I also make role-playing games,
2: which makes it really convenient for this podcast. Yes.
0: Yeah, <laughs> we're all about convenience here. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's why you can see my entire open closet behind me, and because uh, that's very convenient for me. <laughs>
1: It'll be, it'll be really interesting when uh, we do an episode where the third person comes on and says, I, Hi, I'm Bob Smith, and I'm a car mechanic. And everybody's listening right. going, what?
0: Honestly, <laughs> I think we could make it work.
1: Yeah. Game mechanics, car mechanics, how things interact with each other. I'm sure we could come up with a the same thing. There's, there's no rules. It's
0: a of a yeah, it's been a while since we've recorded. Um, Sorry for delaying you again, Eddie. I know you were just like champing at the bit to come back on. Uh, And then we made you wait another week. But we're here now. And it's good because we've had a lot of time to think about, you know, our ideas and getting them onto the page or into the microphone in this case. Uh, Craig, (laughs) Craig, what are we talking about?
1: we're talking a lot about ideas and how where you go with ideas so starting with a gm topic the idea of getting from your vague idea to a campaign outline to something that's a little more workable that you can start to uh, kind of build more from but th- you know there's always that stage of like ooh i'd like to run a campaign about this Okay, well, how do I do that? Like, what what do I need to make happen? What needs to be planned up front? What do I need to prepare for? What kind of groundwork can I lay so that I at least have an outline in place? Don't necessarily have to have the campaign like written. You don't have to have like multiple adventures figured out, but at least kind of have a solid outline. So we're going to talk a little bit
0: about getting to that point as a GM. Well, I think the fun point, look when you have all of the ideas and none of the commitment it's all possibility <laughs> right,
1: yes. it's all yes. possibility
0: i could do this
2: i could do this and i could do that okay i have to work uh
0: maybe tomorrow i'll do that <laughs> oh yeah i i love idea generation all of that it's it is really my favorite part i love brainstorming and then i really struggle with getting to the next the next part <laughs> i think a lot of people are on the same page with me regarding that because coming up with ideas is like what we we really like to do. And if we have this vague idea, like oh, I know, I want to do this campaign. Um, like I'm kind of in this process now, where I'm trying to get to a campaign outline for a horror game I want to run. Maybe all the way in October again because I put it off last year. Um, when I have this idea of what's going to happen, where. We're going to all play online, and the idea is that someone in the game is um, infected with a a virus, and we're trying to figure out who it is throughout the campaign. Um, It's set in the SCP universe, but I don't know where I'm going from there. I just have this vague idea, and I think it's going to be really cool. (laughs) It does sound like fun, actually. (laughs) Well, I hope it will be, but unless I get it to the actual outline... (laughs) so what yeah, are our no. tips like come on give me some tips eddie
2: <laughs> no totally <laughs> and and then and, uh, i i noticed your subtle segue there so i appreciate that um uh but i mean it's 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 tricky right because uh honestly your vague idea is a little more robust than a lot of ideas i've heard because usually that the, the like almost archetypal idea is let's play x game you know let's play starfinder let's play d d um, and that's usually like, the entire idea. <laughs> Is I play this game? Okay, now what? Um, and so, like for me, always I try to think about either who's playing in the game or who I want to invite to the game. Right. Like so, either I have a certain idea and I try to figure, okay, who would like this idea, or I stop thinking about the idea, knowing which group I'm going to pitch it to. And then try to shape the idea to what they like. So, like, the open kind of communication with your players, I think, is really number one of what you should be thinking about on some level.
0: The RPG R and D uh, slogan, the motto: "Talk to your players." Talk, talk, to, your talk players, to your players. players yeah.
2: Right? <laughs> it would be a really yeah, short podcast if you just said that every time.
1: It's
0: like, that's a, exactly.
2: Okay,
1: that's the entire hit. <laughs> um, that's that's all a very good point um, because there, there are when you' when you've got the idea, like we said, it's all possibility, but there are going to be restrictions that are built in. There are going to be like who your players might be or who your player who you know your players are going to be like Getty's like saying. There might be a restriction um, that might color how you how you plan the campaign that is how often can we meet? Um, because the longer you have between sessions, the, uh, the more difficult it is to have kind of running ongoing things where wow. you have to, people have to remember a lot of stuff in between sessions. Whereas if you're doing a game that's every week, it's very easy for people to kind of keep track. Okay. Last week we just, you know, we, we did this thing and now we're on this part where, you know, a lot where if, if, if the campaign is going to be spread out more, um, you, you might try to be tailoring your, the individual sessions to be kind of complete stories within themselves, and you might thematically link some things and there might be some callbacks and so forth, but you may not have a recurring villain or, um, or you know, like you might not have an end arc that you're shooting toward more outside of just like, well, we're going to do more of these types of stories that kind of revolve around these same kind of general ideas.
2: And I think um, your players are a good starting point because really what you're trying to do is you're trying to figure out the boundaries of the box, right? Um, you're trying to figure out what the constraints of the campaign can be. Because I have always felt that creativity works better within constraints rather than just endless creativity. Because, like, you're right, Jess. The, the, the idea of let's just think of ideas that is fun. But in order to get something that's vague, the best way to get it vague is okay, it can't exceed these areas. Uh, it's like, for example, one thing I have learned because, uh, I am, I'm am getting close to 50 now is that most of my friends do not have time to play a game for several years at a time. Uh, there, you know, we, we have way too many things going on in our lives. So usually these days I go, okay, I, there's going to be an implicit or an explicit time limit on the game. We're going to play for a certain period of time and it's going to end because, man, there's nothing more frustrating. The game kind of just fades out, you know, it's like people just keep getting busier, busier, and then eventually just stop playing. That, that's always very frustrating. Um, so uh, I usually go, OK, I, I structure mine like like TV shows these days. Um, where It's like, OK, this game's not going to be more than eight to 12 sessions, you know, eight to 12 episodes, if you will. Uh, and all right, well, now I have a constraint. I, I have a, something to build towards. There's a beginning and ideally when I have some kind of end, um, you know, that end might be very clear and concrete and the game's over. That end might be the end of Twin Peaks, and just what the hell was that? I mean, but something (laughs) that kind of feels like we can stop here and that's okay. And already you're starting to get constraints. Like, you know, for example, the idea you pitched, um, that doesn't sound like it's going to be a long running game. It's probably going to be a one shot, maybe a short campaign. So already you've got some constraints. Okay, so it can't be too long of a plot because of the time constraint I'm looking at. So already you're starting to whittle away things that can't be.
0: Yeah, I love like to start with like knowing what your time period is and then picking a goal for the players to reach or like a question, some sort of challenge that they have to overcome within that time period. And then if you have a longer campaign, you can break it down into like different bite sized chunks. You kind of want every, every season finale to feel... Gratifying because you don't know who's going to come back to your table. Really, you don't know when life stuff is going to happen. And like you said, Eddie, Eddie, it is really, really frustrating if like you don't get to see the end of a story. We love the ends of stories. That's the whole purpose of trying to get through one. Um, I mean, the journey's fun too. Don't get me wrong. But. Sure,
2: um, but but closure really helps, right? I mean, as human beings, we like stories. But the reason we like stories is because there's a rhythm and a cycle to them, and one of those is the end. Uh, so, so yes, the journey is great, but if it just kind of keeps being the journey at some point, that it gets frustrating. Um, and, and to your point about people sometimes cycling in and out, if you say, hey, guys, we're going to play for eight sessions, then sometimes people go, listen, things are getting really rough, but we're at session six, so maybe I can just push through for a couple more sessions, and then we can talk about writing my character out. That's going to lead to a more satisfying play experience than people just going, okay, listen, I just can't do it. I got to go.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And also like, it's so much easier to get somebody to commit to like, okay, close off these eight consecutive Fridays. It's just for three hours for eight. Come on, let's, let's just do it. I, that's so much easier to, to plan for, to plan ahead for. Yeah. As well. Absolutely.
2: And then after that, I mean, usually what I tend to do is I start to uh, um, do what happens a lot in pitch sessions for like Uh, Hollywood or video games, which is starting to get uh, an idea board together. Um, And usually the idea board, it it can be anything. It can be uh, arts, it can be snippets of dialogue, it can be media references, whatever. But really what you're doing is making two rough columns of things the game I want to have in the game and things I do not want the game to be.
0: Hmm. Why is it important to do the things that you don't want? Uh, Because
2: that allows you to dial into players better what your expectations are um and, and obviously players can add to the do and don't wants i mean this is where the safety tool conversation goes in i know we've all talked about it before so just insert safety tool conversation here <laughs> move on <laughs> but i mean that that's a big part of it too is like outside of the safety constraint you can just do things like you know what uh last session last time we played it was a lot of combat and i'm kind of burned down and that's so maybe i like that oh, a ton of combat in this game so, oh, okay cool great So if I'm doing a Space Marine game, I need to really think about how that matches up with a lack of combat. But, you know, that's not meaning taking off the table. It's the, okay, so maybe we're spies in the Space Marines or maybe we're the lower decks with engineers, you know. Um, By looking at what you can't do, then you start to think, okay, how do I reconcile these? And more ideas start to generate. And and I, I feel like uh, take a step back, ideas are ultimately additive in, in, in a sense. Like, you know, you say, I have an idea, and then you add more ideas onto it, right? Like, like a you know, sticky ball or a katamari or whatever, whatever your analogy of choice is. Um, but, uh, uh, and, and there's a certain point, tipping point where the ideas start to come fast and furious, and things start to really think of falling into place. But to get to that, you have to Start putting ideas next to the main idea and going, "Does this fit?" And so, by having those constraints, it streamlines that time. Uh, but again, so it's the okay. We don't want this. Cool. Then I won't. We put that over here. But it, if we it have an idea board that reminds us, anything gets close to that, we could say, "Hey, remember we said we don't really want to have combat here." Oh, yeah, that's right. So I mean, it helps you kind of also vet further ideas as you go through. Um, and there's a certain point in time we won't need that anymore. There'll be a tipping point where either you or your group go, okay, yeah, I think we all know what we want now. Uh, but then and that's, that's that's the outline we're trying to get to, right? So in the middle ground, it's just kind of brainstorming and then figuring out what works and what doesn't. Because um, here's the dirty secret of, of tabletop RPGs. Ideas are cheap. Everyone who's like, I have a great idea for a game. That means basically nothing. Um, anyone can have ideas. And so having as many ideas as possible is actually really great at this stage. Like like you said, it's the fun part, but also you'll start to get a rhythm of, okay, this works. I'm not sure why, but if this feels right and this doesn't feel right, and then as more ideas get down, you start to go, okay, I'm seeing a pattern here and now I recognize why these things feel
1: right. One of the things that I'll do a lot of times with campaigns, and you might see some uh, rip repeat of this with our our later uh, or something similar to this later on in the episode as well um is like once you've got a lot of those kind of things in place then there's like you know when it comes to outlining i tend to you know start start broad and then get more specific and so you can kind of work your way down so like what is the game about what is the game really about if there's any sort of level of subtext that you're trying to shoot for in the game Um, What are the themes that you might be exploring in the game? And that can be very basic or can be very, you know, very deep and complicated. Um, How will the characters change the world or the setting that uh, like or will they, you know, uh, um, and um, and the world means, you know, the world, the kingdom, the city, the town, the NPCs, just anything that's not themselves. And then how will the characters themselves change? Like, what do you foresee the characters Um, doing that, that, you know, what kind of change you might see in them. And that can be as simple, if this is the type of game you're looking to play of just like, well, they're going to level up and gain more cool stuff. And that's, you know, that's fun. I have no problem with that. But if you know, if you're thinking that, oh, well, the characters are going to resolve some personal issues between them, um, or they're going to, um, you know, the, 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 the loner character is going to kindly become more open and and bond better with the group or the, uh, the character that is, um. Um, you know, like low confidence in his uh, kind of, you know, the, the player might be playing the character as like being hesitant. And by the end of the campaign, they have found their voice and they have found mm. their soul. And so those, you know, you can kind of plot out what those might be. And those will be guiding principles as you like go from story to story and session to session. And there's not always, you know, a deep answer to each one of those. It, it, it can be as simple as like, we want to have, you know, we want to kill monsters and take stuff. And it's a power, you know, a power fantasy. Um, and we're going to keep it kind of you know individually episodic um or can be really deep and get into like some really personal stuff and people can like use role playing games to work out um to 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 test out aspects of their personality to work out problems that they've run into like they just like I I feel like I don't have a great deal of control in my life over x y and z but my character is totally in control so at least for a little while I get to uh have that respite from the from being kind of out of control in the real world there's all sorts of things that can go into that and 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 some of these things are things to talk about with with the players as well of course to find out if they want to get into any sort of deep stuff like that but just have that you know like outline that, keep that in mind, and then you can take each each of those after you've kind of hit the broad strokes for each one, and get a little more specific. You can get specific to the characters. You can get specific to certain adventures. Like this adventure is really going to focus on the characters having some sort of internal change, or, or or at least a couple of the characters, right? Or this this adventure might be more about um really exemplifying a particular theme. And and really like exploring that particular theme, for good or ill. And so, that's uh, I mean that's that's the kind of and there's probably other questions that depending on the um, the type you know the the specific game that you're playing and what that game is you know strong with, what it's good at. Um, there's other questions like that, very broad questions that you can ask yourself. And you can usually pick up on that just from reading any of the, you know, like the descriptive portion of the game up front that tells you kind of what the game is about. You'd be like, okay, yeah, I want to make sure I know what I'm doing with these key components of the game.
0: Yeah, some games are definitely directed to let you play with certain themes as well. And choosing mm-hmm. a good game to handle that I think is important. When you try to like bash a theme that, that doesn't fit with the with the game that you're using, yeah. it can be – it's not impossible, but it's going to be more difficult for you to do. It's going to be more work for you as the GM. Eddie, I really like what you were saying about um the theme, like finding the theme and like this ties into also what Craig was saying, but like when when you're dealing it sounds like a lot of us like what we're saying is like thinking about the conflict that the players are facing and at this point, like trying not to railroad your players too much necessarily, like if you know that you want to explore some internal conflict, You don't have to decide what the actual absolute end point resolution for that is. In a tragedy, for example, someone makes a change for the worse or doesn't change and their fatal flaw gets them good in the end. Um, But if it's a more happy story, they're going to have a much happier or at least satisfying resolution to to those conflicts. Um, But I don't think that. It's not really up to you as the GM to make some character decisions for the players, but you can definitely when you're talking with them, talk to the players. I mean, you can start steering them into some directions like, hey, I think that maybe maybe you sound like your character wants to explore their complicated relationship with their sister. And like how are we gonna go do th- go through that? And if that is something they want to explore, are there things we need to avoid? Um, Maybe that's a topic you bring up when you are going over your safety tools like, hey, we're going to explore some complicated family relationships, specifically anything we need to avoid. And then you can just kind of let things play as they may. And then you can set up story beats throughout where you give them another conflict or you give them a thing to play with that helps them explore that theme and they can make their decisions as they go. I love setting up story beats for my players. Like, I know i know at some point in my in my steampunk fantasy we're gonna go on an airship i know this right, is going that, to happen yeah. of course <laughs> yeah. it is yeah. like i know we're gonna hit that what can we do with it what can we do now also to tie this in with our characters like i i love aboleths in in and i love them if i'm playing a longer campaign one's gonna show up i know it's gonna happen at some point like, where is it going to happen? in this oh, story? Yeah.
2: I, I feel like players and game masters also have um, motifs they tend to go back to. So, like, oh, yeah. if you recognize those and say, okay, yeah, then I can do it intentionally. Um, but you have a good point. In my head, I tend to break it down to, uh, uh, with you know, with the caveats of, obviously, it's a cooperative effort with your players and it's a collaborative art form. Generally, the players have control over their character arc, whereas the game master has control over the campaign arc. And that is kind of how it balances out. So um, uh, again, it goes back to the, if you plan for an endpoint, even if the endpoint's never going to be realized, like if it's some kind of theoretically this is when the game will end, when this is accomplished, then you can start to figure out what that arc looks like. So uh, as an example, a few years ago, um, some friends of mine, like we wanted to play uh, a Marvel superheroes game. And I was like, great, I love Marvel superheroes. Um, And I've run it for them before in the past, or basically use kind of a loosely, defined version of the Marvel Semantic Universe as a basis, because most people know that. Uh, and uh, this was before um, Kang was announced as a major villain. So I was like, we'll use Kang the Conqueror, right? Um, and so I was like, immediately, I'm like, okay, well, a couple of things have happened. One is that Kang, Kang's would to be the big fight bu- at the end of the arc, and there needs to be time to travel shenanigans involved with this. Uh, and so right away, I knew kind of how I could roughly plan that. And actually, as I'm saying, I was actually a good example for outlining because that was a game I had to more heavily because one of the things I wanted to do is I wanted to set up a situation where the players set, the players ended up causing the problem that they had to come to fight.
0: Yeah, you need you know, a like, heavier outline with time travel for sure.
2: Yeah, totally. And, and, and you want like kind of the classic Dr. Who shenanigans of like, you know, oh, this is the thing that if I had done this differently, we wouldn't be in this situation now kind of stuff, you know. Uh, but that's a classic time travel thing. It's like, how do I do that without, the play, without completely eroding players? um and so what i ended up having to do was okay so the the, the arc spoilers for a game no one's ever played um but (laughs) the arc was that uh they were ultimately going to create kang right uh they're going to be shuffled through time and then some actions they would take would cause kang to actually be created and and hate them as a result um and so the first really easy one is just they run the kang and he he immediately all about them and hates them. He really no idea who this guy is. That's, again, basic time travel trope, easy to roll out. Um, but then I say, like, okay, I, I picked three paths, which is that these are three different characters they are going to run across. Um, there's no way they can make all three of them happy. So they're going to alienate one of them. And then whichever one they alienate happens to be the one that turns out to be gang. <laughs> he wears a mask, so it's really easy to do. Um, And uh, uh, amazingly, the players went for uh, the super young kid, which made it even more poignant um, because they they didn't realize what they were doing. But I mean, all of those ideas came out of the constraint I had, which is, okay, I'm running a game. A superhero arc has very specific beats. And so I need to hit those. And how do I solve those problems? And then from there, I was able to go to play. Like, say, one thing that went back to the okay, one thing I think we need to do for this game to work is we need to have characters from slightly different continuities. And this was just after uh, the Spider Verse movie came out. So I was able to say, hey, if you've seen that, this is what I'm shooting for one character from the future, one character from the past, one character from Parallel Dimension, that kind of stuff. Um, and everyone was on board with that. Uh, because again, it sells the idea of, okay, this is the kind of weirdness we're going into. Um, a bad example of that, of a game I ran. Uh, And this is something that I'm not proud of, but it's it's a learning experience for me, is I told all my players we're going to play a Star Wars game. And I ran two sessions of a Star Wars game that turned out to be a Call of Cthulhu game. Because in my head, I was like, they'll they'll play members of the Empire, and they'll realize that the Empire is powerless against this greater evil, and it's all really sci-fi um, but what I didn't think of at the time is that Star Wars has a very specific set of tropes and expectations, and Colin of has ext- a different, contradictory set of yeah. tropes and
0: expectations.
2: You can't How- really mesh those without talking to players first.
0: Yeah, so that I take it that didn't work out. No, the players
2: were outright mad at me and quit the game. We never had a third session after I said, "Here's what's happening now," and they're like, "Okay, that's stupid." and None of them came back. Wow! And they were right. To- they were right mm. too. Yeah. It was. It was. It was. It, I had misled them on what the art was, right? That I feel like that can still be done, but you have to say, and luckily now we have a touchstone of stuff like Andor to point to and say, okay, this is darker Star Wars. You can look something like Rogue One or Andor, this is the kind of the tone I'm going for, but tell you when going in that, like, it's going to feel like classic Star Wars for a couple of sessions, and then it's going to change. And here's a very rough idea of where it's going to go. Are you on board?
0: yeah i i think that's so interesting i love movies that flip the script on me that like go from one thing to another but i i find it i'm trying to think if there's any movie i've seen recently or that i've gone into expecting one thing and got something completely different out of and i i I, I don't know
2: it's hard to say like i feel like uh media consumption in the past that was easier to do but nowadays there's so much meta discussion around media yeah that like if I'm going in to watch something like say Memento, um it's like okay I, I kind of know there is a twist I don't know what it is and I'm, I'm excited to find out what that twist is but I'm going in expecting this is a movie that has a strong twist
0: in it right I
1: had that ex- I had the experience just because I when it started getting buzz I kind of started avoiding learning about it. Which was I, and so I had that experience watching everything, everywhere, all at once. Yeah, where it became it was a very different movie than I was kind of expecting it to be.
0: Yeah, okay. Which was I did. I went. I had the same kind of experience too because I had no idea what it was going to be about, and I had a great time watching that. I also had a great time watching From Dusk Till Dawn.
1: That's a that's one of my best examples. That that's like Psycho yeah. and Dusk Till Dawn. It's like halfway through the movie, it just becomes a completely different story.
0: Yeah,
2: and I think that's fair, um, but. If you go in with a certain amount of expectations those are not met i think that's the problem so uh, i've been re-watching uh, twin peaks actually recently um which is why it was on my mind earlier <laughs> and one of the reasons why i think twin peaks works is that it doesn't have a hard shift halfway through it slowly evolves over time like if you watch episode one of twin peaks and then you watch like the end of the showtime show it's a very different show but that's 25 years uh, of arc and even within the original show it's like 30-some episodes. It yeah. slowly goes from 80s primetime soap opera to surreal horror over a very long time. Um, so you, 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 it, it's a kind of uh, a slowly boiling the frog, if you will. It's like you, you can split the switch slowly on that. But again, again, that was a very, I don't want to say completely planned because I know how it was produced, but that, that was still the intent, right? It was like, we're going to take go from point A and try to get the
1: audience to point B. How they got there, upper debate. Yeah. It's not surprising. It basically, like it's David Lynch. He's going to defy your expectations at some point. Right. But that's another
2: thing. Also, you go into, oh, David Lynch directed this. I'm expecting this to happen. Right.
1: But you didn't know what
2: it would be. Right. If you go into playing, say, Over the Edge, Over the Edge is pitched as a surreal tabletop role playing game. Uh, so, it's like, OK, well, if it's not weird and surreal, I almost feel like I didn't get what I was coming to get out of this game. But I mean, certain games, and this goes back to outlining, certain games come with expectations that players may not always be able to articulate. And you have to get a rough idea of what that game is about to either address those expectations or to proactively counteract them. So, for example, um, let's take Shadowrun. Shadowrun is a game around for over 25 years. Uh, uh, it's a well established game. And people say, we to play Shadowrun game, people are going to have 25 years worth of different viewpoints on what they think Shadowrun means, but there are certain aggregate assumptions you can make. It's going to be in the far future, it's going to have strong fantasy elements with a sci-fi twist, uh, and you're going to be playing mercenaries who are hard up for money and are probably getting screwed over by organizations and governments. And those are a kind of rough trends you can do Shadowrun. You can subvert those, and certainly there have been fantastic novels and games of Shadowrun that do subvert those. But they have to spend the time to do that. And with your, if, if you're running a game like that, you have to outline more heavily. So it's good going back to how you outline, you have to think about what are my players gonna probably expect this game to be? And what how am I either reinforcing that or how am I working against that? And then at some point in time, do I have to have an explicit conversation with my players about, okay, here's what you need to expect going into this.
0: Yeah, I think holding on to the idea that I'm going to shock and surprise my players is not necessarily the best way, the best, like, mind frame to put things in. Plus, it's a little bit more personal for the players themselves. They put a lot of effort into the characters. They have, you know, they they have things that they want to do with those characters. And if you set them up for failure, um, you set them up for failure. That's going to cause hard feelings. That's gonna That's going to hurt some people's feelings.
2: I think you can surprise people, um, but it, it, it comes down to you can't do it you can't do it in any way that takes away agency, right? So like yeah, Star Wars example I gave it took away all their agency because they went in thinking they were gonna be heroes and it turns out no, you're just gonna be c- cattle. Um, and so they're okay, that that's not fun. That 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 means our, I I can't do what I want to do as a player. Uh the, the the twist I did of the kid that you thought you saved turned out to be uh, this evil supervillain that hates you. I feel like that works a lot better yeah. because the players went in going this time travel shenanigans are going to happen. And this is a perfect example of time travel shenanigans. Again, with Shadowrun, oh look, the corporate the guy who hired us betrayed us. Who could have surprised? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but you know, so the surprise would almost be them waiting for the inevitable betrayal never happens. And so it becomes
1: like, oh, <laughs> oh wow, would that right. be a he's friend. actually on board. He paid us on time? Nerve-wracking shadow run campaign. Like, I know, is, right? When are we gonna get screwed?
0: Turns out the characters, the player characters, are the only bad guys in this whole world. You guys have been acting like <laughs> Turns whole out Mr. Jerks.
1: Johnson is just a great employer.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> he, he, he he did really good at
1: team management. I just learned what a bottle is. Okay. Allowed okay. all of us to shine in our roles. We were compensated fairly.
0: <laughs> well, now now I want to make a game where you are like you're like a bunch of ruffians, scoundrels, whatever, and you finally get into a non-toxic work environment and you're just waiting for the other <laughs> shoe to drop. <laughs> I want well, that now. How can I change that into a game, guys? <laughs>
1: well, well, that would get to our, our uh, game design topic, which is getting from vague idea that Jess <laughs> just shared with all of us to a game outline. Um, and you're going to, I think, uh, dear listener, probably hear some uh, some amount of, I don't want to say repetition, but similarity between what we discussed uh, for, G- for the GM and campaign side. Um, to the game design side because mm-hmm. a game design designing a game is really kind of designing the framework that people can use to make a campaign um so there's there's definitely connective tissue there so yeah. i mean
2: for me it's like it, all the stuff i said about players replace that with 50% audience 50% production limitations um, or constraints I should say no, limitations, um, because like for example uh i, I i've developed a lot of games from big ideas. And one of the first questions I ask is like, who is this game for and how how big is the book? Because a game for a very specific audience that's going to be 50 pages long is a very different design than a game that's meant for a much wider audience. It's meant to be a 300 page book.
0: Yeah, I think like definitely thinking about it as terms of scope, like are, what are you meant to cover in this game? like are you trying to cover an entire world all of these other like systems that are in place or is it meant to be just like like here is a way that you can play in this type of setting i and that does change according to also the length of the book you can't have um let's say you had a 674 page book and you called it rules light um i don't know <laughs> what you're talking about in all those 674 pages but um there's there's like some kind of issue. They are they are correlated. Is what I'm saying. Right. <laughs> the scope I mean, I mean, and the
2: length. It can be done. I actually I'm thinking of a game that does actually do both. But like 650 of those pages are stuff like setting material and advice. Right.
0: Oh well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. But 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 like, that's, but that's a, the for, scope. For, I have to design
2: for that constraint.
0: <clears throat> yeah, that's the scope. Like I want a really in depth setting for this game. It's going to be incredibly in depth. That's a scope. And you can have also have a pretty in depth setting with a smaller game, but. You can't do that much in five pages, in 12 pages, in 24. I should have started off on my intervals of four and six. <laughs> that would make <laughs> more sense for a book.
1: Right. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, and there's there's a question of thinking about what the audience is going to see as well. Um you know, you could ostensibly design a game that's, you know, a 500 page book and it is in fact rules light. It just comes with a lot of setting and a lot of like, here's a billion ideas of things you can do with the game. And and the rules are actually, the rule section is actually fairly small, but sitting on a shelf, sitting on a table at a convention, yeah. um, the page count listed for an online sale, a sale site with the PDF or whatever is going to Fly in the face of that. So you, right. if, if you are going to do something that's a little unconventional and 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 breaks those those norms, you need to make sure to find some way to kind of, um, you know, communicate how you're breaking that norm in such a way that it's you know you you don't want to drive people away where they say like I love rules like games and I also love like really in-depth settings and I just love to read settings and get absorbed into the world well this game is for you well how, how am I how am I going to make that point to people and that that's something that gets has to you know kind of has to make its way into your outline of how you're going yep. to present the game as well as how you're going to design it and so you know tying it back to the outline thing is you got to you know kind of keep that in mind about where you're planning to go with like Eddie and Jess said everything that has to do with uh, the depth of the rules and the scope of the setting and and, and the constraints of how you're going to produce the game.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, like uh, A lot of the games I work on are generally in the 250 to 350 page range, and I'm working with a team of people, right? Uh, and uh, one of the things that I'm always having to talk to my team about is that you can't think of this as a bunch of Word documents. You have to think about this as a final book uh I'm at the end of the day as a developer I'm the person has to make the final decisions and make sure I'm keeping that in mind um but uh for example uh the the first edition of Pugmire one of the things that we talked about was having a physically smaller book uh it, it it's not only is it was it ended up being 264 pages but also it's seven by ten as opposed to the traditionally half by eleven uh and those are both very explicit decisions because I wanted it to look more approachable. I wanted it to, oh, it's a smaller, it's a smaller game. Even though the reduced physical size meant there's actually more pages, it's a thicker book as a result because I had to fit the same amount of word count in, you know, in, in a smaller amount of page time or space. Uh, but because it was physically smaller, I would hear things like people saying, oh, I could put it in my purse. I could you know, grab it and show it in my backpack. And that casual pickup play was something I very much wanted to do. Whereas um, for something like, say, when I worked on Vampire the Masquerade 20th Anniversary Edition, that's meant to be a big, huge coffee book style for people who love this game for 20 years and want every single thing they remember reading in that book. So it's, yeah, it's a 500 page tome. It's leather bound. It's meant to be like a huge coffee table thing. And so those are two very different designs. And each time I have to tell my writers, like, you can't just Keep writing endlessly. You know, you have to think about how is that going to look on the page. How is this all going to add together? Um, and you're right. So, so even though I've had people say they first learned Vampire on the 20th anniversary edition, and they were surprised by how fast and light it was, the reality was they were surprised because they were expecting a dense, intricate, you know, very nuanced, mechanically complex game. Uh, because it was a huge book. And it's like, no, it's just a whole bunch of random background stuff that had been done over 20 years that we kind of compiled together.
0: Yeah, I, I love I That's something that is so much different than GMing, like the actual physical product or digital product that you're going to give to somebody in the end is like your time constraint as a GM. that's like that's like the player the amount of players you have and who's going to be there and the amount of time you have like that's that's the corollary but it's also incredibly different because it really does shape a lot of of what you're you're going into and we didn't talk a lot about this um previously but a lot of it does come to editing your ideas to fit a certain shape literally um in this case literally um and like once you're in that idea generation phase, like we were talking about in the previous, uh, the previous section um, of our podcast, I I don't know why I couldn't think of the word section there for a second. <laughs> <The> <laughs> it was gone in the way. front where we talked. You know the that thing. part. Um, segment is actually what I wanted to say, and that has also now just come to me. Wow, uh, my brain. Uh, regardless, <laughs> uh, well, like after you you're in that idea generation phase. After you. Um you come up with your vague idea, you're making your what did you call it your idea board, your, your yeah, storyboard, mm-hmm. your idea board of the things you want, and the things you don't want uh, and you eventually have to get down to a spot where you're paring it down to fit your theme to fit the page count to fit the size to fit also the theme and the scope of what your team can handle in your deadline all of that like in that t- editing can feel like, So personal. Also, if you're working with a team, I primarily design with my husband, and the times where we have to edit, like sometimes we're like, like we don't fight, but like we almost fight. Like we almost have an argument. We almost have an argument. Like over what are we gonna create? What are we gonna do? Heated,
1: heated debate.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we have a heated debate. Which we have heated debates all the time. That's like how we entertain ourselves. Um, (laughs) Right. (laughs) But it can feel so personal because if it's the thing that you made, like. No, yeah. I, want, I wanted this. And if you're telling me to take it out, even if you're telling me to take it out because it doesn't fit, and you're not saying because it's a bad idea, it just doesn't fit, like that can feel like such a oh, like such a, a, personal attack sometimes. You have to really oh, totally. be thoughtful when you're working with a team. And, um, and I,
2: th- I think the reverse is also true something we don't talk about as much as an industry is that sometimes an idea is not big enough to fit a larger project. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's kind of a running joke of like a traditional RPG is about two guys 50 years ago in one ghetto in the middle of Poland. You know, it's like it, there's such a small, specific experience that those games are designed to craft. But the reality is, is that a smaller, lighter game does better, endless experiences. Like, you know, I said before, I, I make I tend to make wide games with a wider audience for 30 pages. But I mean, I have an idea I've been noodling around for a while. It's just a cyberpunk bar simulator. Basically, it's the you're in a generic cyberpunk world, and you're trying to keep your bar flow. So basically, it's cheers, but told in cyberpunk world. And I'm like, that's <laughs> never going to be a 250 page game, right? You know, it's going to be 50 at most. Uh, so, but and I don't know how to make those kinds of games. So it's something that I'm debating at some point doing just so I can learn how to make games in that smaller space because some ideas are ill-suited to try to bloat out. So, I mean, like the reverse of that thing is sometimes there's a need to kind of Force an idea into a space that it's not quite big enough to handle. Um, I think or would never have worked as a concept if it had been a massive three hundred page. Oh, book. yeah. Right. Um, it's meant to be just like two thousand words and a whole bunch of art. Um, yeah. But that's a very specific aesthetic and experience that doesn't work if you don't lean into that as hard as you can.
0: That's why I'm glad we got our start. Um, we just made one pagers really mini micro games just to like try to and we were really bad at doing that at first um I look at some of the stuff that I put together I'm like why did I have so many words on this one page like why is this why is this nine point font what am I doing (laughs) 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 but that's part of the that's part of the learning process I got really good at editing myself down um (laughs) or making things fit on a page terribly but sometimes making you fit on a page uh I I uh, I did this with Beach Episode, which was a vague idea I had while I was recording this podcast, um, and and now it is becoming a game, uh, and yes. I had to think like, okay, exactly, exactly what what do I want out of this? What do I want it to be, and who do I want it to be for? Um, and like there are so many beach trope epi- like beach trope things I could yeah. put into this game but not all of them are going to fit because I wanted it after I thought about it I wanted it to be a game that like you don't have to necessarily be playing a campaign for you can pick it up or you can use it to take a break within your very intense campaign in any setting any whatever characters if you want a beach episode here you go this is your filler episode so I couldn't have I couldn't have every every beach trope I wanted because they're not all going to fit. Um, And I also wanted it to be nice and short. So people would actually maybe want to use it within their campaign without having to learn a bunch of rules.
1: You can can always make a a supplement called beach episode to be continued which turns your beach <laughs> episode into a two-parter
0: <laughs> i do have that those <laughs>
1: tropes and you can talk about cliffhangers between the two episodes and yeah yeah i wanted it
0: to, to also like the game is set up so you have like different acts within it so your arrival at the beach up until nighttime because you can't continue you can't be at the beach at night once no. it's nighttime it's time to go to bed you can't be swimming out outside at night um <laughs> uh <laughs> that's the beginning of a
1: horror
0: movie right well i do want to do other ones because i want (laughs) to do like this ski lodge episode and (laughs) i want to do a bunch of filler episodes because i love them they're my favorite things of uh of an anime and i I, (laughs) I
2: just love the idea of like uh, a role-playing game it's based around the thing that everyone skips when they do binge watching I just think that's that's fantastic it's like here's the the filler episode now what does it look like um but you Brought up something else. It's a really good point. That's kind of, I mean, it works for both, but I think it's more important for an outline for a role playing game. Um, it is uh, what I call the design log, design log line. At some point in time, you have to write one or two sentences that may or may not go on the back cover of the book or sales text and drive through RPG or itch.io. But basically, it's the title is a game that delivers this experience with these kinds of rules. That's your rough structure of sentence. And I try to put that at the top of my outline because then as I make further decisions, I can look back at that and go, is this decision reinforcing that log line? And if the mm. answer is no, I have one of two choices. Remove the thing I wanted to add or change the long line to incorporate it. And by keeping that log line to one or two sentences, that also forces a, that forces the thing to be focused, right? It's like, I can't be wordy with what the game is ultimately about. And so everything has to be at the surface of this. And if I'm changing it, okay, well then something else, some other nuance of the game is going to get lost as a result. So is that a change I want to make? So it, it, it's a it's a intuitive way to be able to go, is this game going in the direction I want to? And then and at the end, if things work out well, then that's something you can, like I said, use in sales text or pitch to players, hey, you know, Pugmire is a game set in the far future where dogs um believe magic or science fiction is magic. You know, that's my log line and, it's used, and it uses a variation of traditional fantasy rules. That's that's something that design-wise uh, it worked well, but also it's a great way to pitch the game because everything is in service of that goal.
0: We call that top-down design in education, where you start with oh, your okay. idea and the goals that you want for your lesson or for your unit plan. Um, I like to try to pile in a lot of stuff, but I can't. I have a time constraint with my children, and yep. <laughs> I can't include <laughs> everything that I want to include. So if it doesn't serve the if it doesn't serve the skills I want them to build, it doesn't serve the standards that they need to reach, that's what I skip. That becomes an extension if I can get there.
1: Yep. And and it sounds like a truncation of the the questions that I ultimately ask myself. And you're you're gonna see some of the connective tissue back to earlier in the episode, which is to say I try to define and and then stick to these things. And like you said, and like Eddie said, if if something needs to change, it needs to change. But what is the game about? What is the game really about? If it is really about something else, uh, what is the setting like? Um, what do the characters do in the game? Make sure you have a clear definition yes. of what the characters are doing. You don't just put them in a setting and hope they figure out what to do. Um, what play experience do you want the players to have? because you can have a lot of different play experiences and how can the mechanics support those things um and 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 that and all of these questions are again can be answered in a great deal of depth. they can be very simple. sometimes the mechanics you know supporting the things above is just like, well I just want mechanics that allow me to make checks that's 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 a viable you know make make trade yeah. checks, make make ability score checks. Um, that's a viable thing. but if you want you know the mechanics to have a a, a, a kind of a more substantive, a substantial tie into themes of the game or something like that you you know how can the mechanics support that and like speaking to vampire that's where you got like you know the beast and humanity and all the rules surrounding that those are things that are very vampire game oriented um, whereas a bunch of the other mechanics are just like well these are just ways to resolve actions right and aren't specifically supporting um anything about the play experience
2: and I think that that's a good question also if you're looking at an off-the-shelf system, right? If you're looking at using uh, uh, Fate or Powered by the Apocalypse or what have you, what play experience do I want? You could then use that as a metric to hold up against the system. Like, does this system actually provide that experience? Um, because, again, to go back to Pugmire, uh, um, one of the first pieces of feedback I ever got, which was which always bad for me, I was like, why wasn't this in Powered by the Apocalypse? I'm like, because Powered by the Apocalypse doesn't do D&D. I mean, that basically comes down to it's the I wanted something that felt like a classic late '70s, early '80s tabletop role-playing game, and do that have something that looks a heck of a lot like Dungeons and Dragons? Um, Because one of the themes of the game is about nostalgia and how nostalgia can blind us to the realities of what actually happened in the past. And so we're talking about dogs who are glorifying humans for the past life, and we as people know the humans are kind of crappy you know having that nostalgia component into the mechanics was important for me uh uh but i i and at the time i was like maybe i'm overthinking this but over the years i really feel like that's kind of the questions you should be asking is like what are the aesthetics of the game uh something again we don't to talk about much is that rules are also aesthetics what kind of dice you choose how many dice you pick uh you can resolve a check in so many different ways that that's almost a meaningless question but There is a different feel of a game of rolling two dice, six, and adding a number and rolling a fistful of D10s and picking out the ones that are successes. There's a a, a different kinetic aesthetic feel, even if you're using digital tabletop, but still people have certain associations with those. You feel more epic when you're rolling a whole bunch of dice in your hands versus rolling just a couple of dice. And at some level, that aesthetic may not matter to your game, but it is something to think about, uh, along with all of these other questions. Um, so, uh, you know, like if you're talking about a game with a filler episode, then you probably want something that fits really alongside what other games maybe you're playing at the time because you want that to feel like it's, it's not too much of an intrusion. Oh, we have a fun little digression uh, here. So you want something that's probably gets out of the way a lot. It doesn't really feel like it's going to be uh, a strong thing. But, you know, if you're playing a game like the game I worked on, um, which was a cyberpunk game where you also have characters in a video game world, you know, I had to create an entire new system inside the game system to emulate an MMO. And I had to make sure that that secondary system, A, connected to the first system in meaningful ways so that people didn't feel like they'd learned a whole new game. And then B, felt like you are playing a video game. Uh, so, I mean, all of those, a lot, I had to ask a lot of those aesthetic questions before I could even go to the designers and say, okay, here are the constraints I need these things to hit. I've already done some of the initial groundwork. I need to do this, I need to do that, needs to do the other thing. Here's some examples I've written. You now have to design with the nose constraints to make sure that we're hitting all these things. Um, because if it doesn't feel like you're playing a video game, then the divide of me a player in the real world is playing a character in a cyberpunk future who's playing a video game character is going to be so far removed people are going to not care about it so we have to make sure you are 100 everything about that feels like a video game and you know i can't just use D fourth edition so we had to come up with a new version that felt yeah. like a video game
0: otherwise you're cheating the players out of the premise that you promised them exactly. which is kind of like what you did with the star wars and kazoo people yeah yeah
2: yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I, so you I, have to make sure you're selling it as much as possible.
1: Yeah, I've I did that. I think I I like to think probably the strongest mechanic I've developed for emulating or or making the char- making the players feel a certain way about the game is in Die Laughing, which is a game where it's intended to essentially be a one shot. You're in a hor- your character's in a horror movie. They're probably going to die. Almost everybody's going to die, and everybody starts with a pool of six d six, and every time you make a check. At the end of a scene, you roll all your whatever your pool is. You roll all the dice. Um, Things that happen in the game cause that dice pool to reduce and you lose Mm -hmm. dice and you lose dice. And so the dice are a countdown to your death. So the, the more dice you are rolling, the safer you are. In the beginning of the game, you got a bunch of people. They're all throwing a whole bunch of dice on the table at once. When you get to the last few scenes, there's two or three people left. They're each rolling two or three dice. Um, and it has a different sound. It has a different feel because they're just not, you know, they, they know like I'm one bad role or one decision by that other player away from my character um, getting, you know, murdered by zombies or turned into a sexy vampire. So
0: how, how would you want to avoid that? <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: in the game, it's called being wrapped, not being killed, because you can you can be out of the story your character is wrapped that's a wrap for you Mm -hmm. um yeah you can get turned into a zombie or a vampire or become possessed by a ghost or whatever but you can also be you know murdered by um backwoods cannibals So depending on what you're playing. Yeah. So like you can, you can give thought to like how, and it's interesting that you brought up like um, existing systems and what they do, because we're going to be talking um, in the next episode, teaser, everybody, (laughs) Um, we're going to be talking about the strengths and weaknesses of different um, well-known systems and, and discussing kind of like what, um, what they do well, what they do poorly or, or only kind of have to or whatever. Um, One of Jess's favorite, arguments is like you know find the right system for the right game we just mentioned that today so um that's coming up so that'll tie into this nicely
0: find the right system for the right game or if you want to play pugs in a science fiction magical world i guess you're gonna have to (laughs) make your own (laughs) right (laughs) actually that exists now uh so (laughs) it it
2: does but certainly it went from me using an off-the-shelf system to having to
0: hastily make my
2: own system thanks to (laughs) certain corporate decisions so yes (laughs)
0: Eddie, this has been an illuminating conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm always
2: glad to come on. I'm. Thanks nice to talk with you guys. Even though it's been it's been a minute because I've had to move overseas, but I'm done now. So
0: <laughs> yeah, done done moving, but still overseas.
2: Yes, I am still overseas. I, that, that has not changed. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, so hopefully uh, I can start getting back into to getting on other podcasts and then talking with y'all again as as you have time.
0: Yeah. Sounds thank you pick. for yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Where can we find your stuff?
2: um you can find me on my website at pugsteady.com that's p-u-g-s-t-e-a-d-y i'm also pugsteady on twitter um uh, aside from that if you want to know more about playing sci-fi fantasy dogs in the far future uh you can go to my website realms of we just wrapped up a kickstarter for the new edition so hopefully by the time you hear this becker kit should be open knock on wood so you can pre-order if you want
0: uh, you can find me on Twitter for now at, at josca or on Tumblr at, at Juska, or on TikTok at Jess awful. And you can find my games at wannabegames.com or drive through RPG or itch under the same wannabe games.
1: Um, and you can find me at nerdberger Craig on Twitter and Mastodon. Uh, right now on BackerKit, crowdfunding is a supplement, a little fun little supplement for die laughing that I just talked about called Die Laughing2, Colon Die Laughinger. Um, which is just adding all sorts of additional characters and monsters, um, as well as film styles to use for, uh, you know, killing off your characters in a horror comedy movie. Um, that's on backer kit crowdfunding right now. Uh, it's ba- it's funded, um, but we're 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 doing some um, additional stuff. And uh, the my website is nerdburgergames.com. and you can find all the stuff on drive through RPG.
0: Thank you to our opening and closing theme song, which is Avel by Steph Sacks, licensed under Creative Commons. Thank you, Avel, or Steph Sacks. Wow. Thank you, Steph Sacks, for your song, Avel. (laughs) They they both sound like people names. I don't understand. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, And thank all of you for listening, and we'll see you back here next time. Bye-bye. Bye.